I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Next slide. says, then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do all these things? And the king shall answer and say unto them, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. And the key words there is the least of these, right? And have you ever considered your ministry, our call is to minister to the least of these? Our goal should be, and so I, my fear is, as a professional apostolic church, we have a tendency to try to fill the pews, and that's not what God called us to do. He called us to minister to the least of these. And so we should say to God, God, I, I want to minister to the least. Call me to minister to the least of these. Amen? Amen. So I ask you, teacher, supernatural teacher, do you want... A ministry that looks like Jesus' ministry. We all think that our ministry needs to look like a polished professional teacher that has all the skills and our classroom is well put together. But Jesus' ministry didn't look like that. And should we do do you want a ministry that looks like Jesus's? And the answer should be, of course, right? So ask yourself, what did Jesus' ministry look like? And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We do that. Healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. But check out this next part. This is what Jesus' ministry looked like. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. This is what Jesus' ministry looked like. While we, we crave an orderly classroom with kids that are sitting there attentively, that's not what Jesus' ministry looked like. If you want a ministry that looks like Jesus's, see, what happens when these kids come into your classroom? What do you do? Send them to the hall? Send them back to their grandparents? Tell the bus driver not to pick them up anymore? What should we do? This is our opportunity. When these children come into our classrooms, this is your opportunity to be like Jesus. Don't treat it like, oh, no, Billy's here again. Oh, we all have that kid that makes us And when you feel that groan coming on, recognize that this is your opportunity to be like Jesus. And so so turn that groan into, okay, this is where I need to intercede and figure out what is my next step so that Billy becomes Pastor Billy. So your new student has arrived. His name is Joseph Merrick, better known as the Elephant Man. Merrick's worsening skin and bone condition, as well as lameness incurred by a childhood fall, left him unable to find income other than to put his grotesqueness on display. And sadly for America, not too many years ago, we were amused by disabilities. And we would come together... And we would pay a nickel 
to go into a tent so that we could watch disabilities on display. The elephant man, which we've all heard the story of the elephant man, was one of those people. He would come in with a bag on his head. And you paid your nickel to see the elephant man. And then they would take off the bag and you would see his grotesques. And then he would introduce himself with this poem. He would say, tis true my form is something odd, but blaming me is blaming God. Could I create myself anew? I would not fail in pleasing you. If I could reach from pole to pole or grasp the ocean with a span, I would be measured by the soul, the mind's the standard of the man. And so you have that poem in your notes. I'm going to ask you some questions here. First question, why do you think that Merrick chose this poem to introduce himself? What does this poem say about him? It, did, it introduced his deformity. It showed that his condition was not his choice and that he would change it if he could. So according to this poem, who did Merrick hold responsible for his condition? And in the end, is God in charge? So when a special needs, a child with special needs comes into your classroom, is it the child's fault? Because so many times we penalize the child for the condition. Because that's what society used to do. It used to be we treated special needs like leprosy. And we would find an asylum, a secret room, a place to closet them off because they brought shame to the family. And thankfully, our society is recognizing that that was not the right way to go. But we have to be careful because our Sunday schools still have a tendency when these children come into our classroom to go, oh, this is going to be hard. Let's push it away. But what do we need to do? We need to bring it in. We have an opportunity to minister like Jesus. Special needs offers that opportunity. And in fact, I would say that Jesus expects it of you and I. And so if you have not embraced special needs into your teaching ministry, I'm challenging you today. If you want to minister like Jesus, you need to reconsider. You need to meet with your pastoral staff and figure out how we can do. Now, I've asked a very special friend here today. Sister Denise Wynn, I got to know her through Able Ministries. And you guys know Denise very well, from what I understand. Um, but I'm excited for the opportunity for her to bring her burden to you today, to challenge us. Because one thing that she said, uh, I, I saw her a couple weeks ago, she came to St. Louis to speak, but she said something very profound. She said, whether she meant to say it or not, she said, when you sit down with someone with special needs, and you eye to eye every day dealing with them, sometimes you realize things about yourself that you're not very proud of. That it, it draws emotions out of you, feelings out of you. And as teachers, when those kids come into our classroom, and those, it, they, what they need most is love. But sometimes that's not what they get from us. And we have an opportunity to change that. So like I said, I've invited Denise here today to just unleash her burden and so, Sister Denise, would you please welcome Denise Wynn. If you guys don't mind, can, I feel like I want to have a conversation. Um, on the way here, the Lord, of course, I had everything planned that I thought I would say. And on the, on the way here, the Lord um, 
change that around. And so I'm wondering if we could gather in close together, and if it's okay, I love to rearrange furniture, so if I could have one of these little stands down here, Brother Anderson. Oh, no, I don't need a chair. My notes. <laughs> could probably just throw them away. <laughs> Come on, we're all family. Thank you. <laughs> so, on a recent long trip, I realized that my GPS has this new feature. And again today, I was reminded of this feature, and this is where the shift in my speech today has changed. So, anyway, so I'm driving here, and yes, Brother Stephen Beardsley, I still need GPS to get here. <laughs> My husband and I are famous for being horrible with directions. Um, so anyway, I just count on GPS. So I have this GPS, and she's Google. You all have her probably. But there's this feature I was not aware of before that really started to get on my nerves when we went to Time of Harvest because that's a three-hour ride for me. And uh, I had my daughter-in-law with me. Shout out to her mom and sister here today. And so this warning says, um, she tells me that there's a disabled vehicle ahead. You know, it does that little, ding it, disabled vehicle ahead. And I'm thinking, can I shut that off? Because I don't care. <laughs> Seriously. I don't care that there's a disabled vehicle ahead. There's nothing personally I can do about it. I can't um, change my own tire, let alone pull over and help someone else take care of anything that is broken on their car. So I'm thinking, I'd love to shut that off because I really don't care, right? There's nothing I can do to help. And then I thought about Jesus. What if my Holy Ghost could tell me, warning, disabled individual up ahead? I do disability ministry. Right? It's been a part of my life. I didn't pick it. I didn't choose it. If I got to do it all over again, I'm sorry. I'm going to be real. I wouldn't pick it. It's a really unique life that is not easy. And so it chose me. I didn't choose it. And for many years, rather than stop and look and ask questions, I'd rather not get involved. And I know that there are a lot of churches and a lot of Sunday school classes, and a lot of people that really do not want to look and get involved in special needs ministry. And that's okay. It's not for everybody. It should be, but it's not. Honestly, if you still believe that, you know, that autism is a spirit that you need to cast out by, you know, anointing them with oil or laying across them with your body and um, chanting things, then you probably should not be doing disabilities ministry. <laughs> It still happens. I'm sorry. I am on social media because I have to be. And the ignorance, it still floors me. But if I could have that radar now that would warn me that I'm coming in contact very shortly with someone who has a disability, I would love to have that feature because I know that God wants us to look for them. Um, between 93 million and 100, we saw what a million looks like. What does 93 million look like? Between 93 million and 150 million children, not adults, but children, live with a disability worldwide. 
Recent estimates in the United States now show us that one in six, can you say that, one in six, children in the United States of America has a developmental disability. One in six children. Developmental disabilities are a group of conditions due to an impairment in physical, learning language, or behavioral areas that begin during the developmental period and often last throughout their entire lifetime. And some examples are, the most prominent that we are aware of right now is autism. There are behavioral disorders. There's brain injury. There's cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, fetal alcohol syndrome, intellectual disability, spina bifida, ADHD. More than 50 million Americans are impacted daily by a disability. And one of those very special Americans, individuals, is my son, Sean. And Sean is now 24 years old. Sean is profoundly affected by autism and epilepsy. Sean's nonverbal. Sean wears a helmet. Sean wears diapers. Sean depends on the care of strangers and coworkers and family members and just people to take care of his every single need. But a long time ago, Sean was just little and we didn't even know the scope of his disabilities. The Lord told Gary and I that Sean would be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That he would be like a John the Baptist that has a unique ministry that doesn't look like everybody else's. I'm talking eating locusts and camel skins. But that his life would impact his world. And not everyone saw that. Not everyone was willing to invest in that. Not everybody was willing to wait as we went through the process. And you see, I know what it's like to be in a church where we were neglected. And I know what it's like to be in a church where our needs were taken care of. Early on, the ministry we sat under, and I wanted to come together as a family, and I wanted to talk about this because it talks about culture, and it talks about the beliefs of, you know, you as a pastor and you as leadership. What do you believe about disability? What is your theology about disability? I'm not smart enough to write that book. I know that people are working on it, and uh, we have begged people to work on it because the theology of disability really matters in how you think about reaching your world. For me... To see someone that is profoundly autistic, that cannot think in abstracts. It is impossible to think in abstracts. Everything is concrete. Everything is black and white. Everything needs to happen when it's supposed to happen and the way it's supposed to happen because that's how their neurological system works, right? And God is the most abstract concept. And being baptized in Jesus' name and having your sins washed away is so abstract and it's so out there. There's nothing concrete about it. But we are seeing kids all over that are getting baptized in Jesus' name. They're getting filled with the Holy Ghost because the Spirit of God can bypass your neurology. The Spirit of God can bypass your disability. And he gets right to the soul. And that, my friends is what it's all about. It's about the soul. And Brother Norris, and I'm glad you pointed that out, said something so important. He said, you know, what if we just stop saying that people had special needs and stop looking at these people have special needs, that these people are special, and how about we just see them as people? We're all just people. 
And we all just have a soul, right? And God is the only one that can fill that. And he is not intimidated by disability. He's not afraid of disability. It doesn't make him uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes us uncomfortable because disability makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel helpless. Sometimes we just don't know what to do or how to control a behavior. And so we, we turn from it. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to watch it. We don't want to get involved. Warning, disabled vehicle ahead, right? I don't want to get involved. And that's how it can be with disability ministry. It's messy. It is. Our lives, my life, when I think back, the D'Amico's knew me then. When Sean was born, they walked with us through all of it. And we were in a church that I know, I know they wanted to help. Looking back, (laughs) I see clearly. And I know in their hearts they wanted to help. But because they didn't know how, no one did anything. And Sean and I went to church not feeling welcome. We were taken down the hall or sent away, or no one even cared where we wandered off to, (laughs) just so we weren't tearing up the sanctuary. And we would be down the hall alone in a room where he wasn't bothering anybody with his, his noises or with his behavior. So no one saw us, and he didn't get healed when we went through the prayer line, and, you know, we didn't want the church to look bad. <laughs> so um, we just stayed out of the way. And I would watch everybody else through the windows or hear them through the walls, and they would be praising, and they would be singing, and they would be worshiping, and they would be praying, and my own husband would be on the altar, and he would be leading worship service. And I could hear it, but we weren't welcome in there. We were not a part of what was going on in the sanctuary. And then we get to go, we leave because we are so spiritually dead that we no longer even want to live for God. And we leave and we go to another church where someone says, we don't know how to help you, but we're going to figure out how. And we sat down together and we figured out a way that the winds could come to church as a family and that I could actually get a chance to sing and worship God in the sanctuary and that I could spend time at an altar. And the Millers embraced Sean. And when we offered, they said, look, we have an idea. We don't have staff here. We don't, we're a small church, right, at the time. And they said, we don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. We are going to hire someone from outside to come and watch Sean during service so that you and Gary and Aaron can be a part of everything that happens here at this church. And they did that. They were willing to bring in someone and pay her money. Yep. And then we developed Sean's friends from that. And when we offered, we said, we'll pay for it. Because, you know, we were used to having to pay, pay our way and take care of Sean all by ourselves. We'll pay for it. Sister Miller looked at me and she said, Sean's ours. Sean belongs to this body. And if the church can't pay their bills and take care of their own, then we don't need to be here. And so this caregiver came in and took care of Sean. And it was the first time where I and my husband and Aaron, we got to sit and worship together in church. We got to pray in the altars. And then as we started to heal, the Lord started to give opportunity to do more ministry. And from that strength that grew in us and from that wheat that was crushed, um, ministry in me developed, 
ministry my husband developed, and we began pastoring a church. And so you guys all know the rest of the story. And a lot of you, I'm sad that you don't know Sean. I know only a few of you in this room do, and um, I'm kind of feeling sad about that and a little embarrassed. Um, But (sighs) the truth is we just never figured out how to do church with him. Because he was never welcome among us. Even at the Millers, with all of their love and support, they'd done everything they could. Sean still couldn't tolerate the sanctuary. The sensory overload is just too much for him. And so we've protected him. Or maybe we protected all of you. I don't know which. But I know that it has to change. I know that there are one in six children that have a developmental disability. I know that there are 50 million Americans living with a disability. And I know that 85% of them never come to church. If I wasn't already saved and living for God and involved in ministry, I wouldn't put my shoes on to go through that. I wouldn't go. Why? Why would I do that? To not even feel welcome. There is a mission field that is so vast. There are disabled people. If the radar starts going off, it'd be like beep, 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 beep all day long. Everywhere you go, you'd find opportunity to reach individuals with disability. And I'll tell you what, when you reach them, you reach a family that is loyal a family that is grateful, a family that works and prays and will give everything to the kingdom. We are so grateful for our salvation. I am so grateful for my sanity. You know, I know someone once said they saw me worshiping from afar and they looked over and then they came up to me after. It was actually Brother Nealon, and he looked me in the eye and he said, I don't know what you've been through but it's your worship that brought you through it. And it's just gratitude because I've been alone and felt rejected and not accepted by the people that were supposed to love us the most, that are supposed to welcome everybody and reach everybody. But we were on the outside looking in, but not anymore. There has been a shift. There's a shift in the culture. It should have started with the church, but it has started with society. (laughs) Where people with disabilities are being brought out in the public, right? You see us in restaurants with our helmets on and our behaviors, and I'm so glad that we're coming out of the rooms. And these are people that want to come into our churches I knew I was not alone, but the response to ABLE Ministry has been, it's been humbling. It's been overwhelmingly wonderful, and without God's help, this huge need is impossible to meet. ABLE Ministry was established in 2014. It was launched at General Conference. The acronym ABLE stands for Accept, Believe, Love, Embrace, Individuals and Families Impacted by Disability. 
Our ABLE Facebook page now has 2.1K. <laughs> it's over 2,000 members that interact. We share stories. We share our lives. We ask lots of questions, a lot of feedback and input. It's a beautiful space. It's a safe space. And history was made three weeks ago when we met at the uh, headquarters in St. Louis. And I don't know, but it was a big deal for me. Um, going to headquarters with an invitation is the spiritual equivalent to getting invited to the White House. <laughs> I need a tissue. So I was terrified, as you might imagine. And um, I kept telling myself, you're not terrified, you're excited. No, this is terror. <laughs> I was terrified. We, I knew that we had a, a room, and Tiffany Countaway, if you know her, she does the, the conference um, coordination for, for general conference. And so she's really smart and organized, and she's a really, really big deal. So um, I knew that she was going to be there, and I knew that Chris Anderson was going to be there. And you may not realize, but he's a really big deal. He's a, he is a world changer. And um, I heard that Jared Runk was going to be there, and he's a professor at Urshan, and I didn't know what a big deal he was until I met him, and he is like a really big deal. <laughs> we won't. And Linda Gleason was there. She's our ladies president, and Jane Buford was there, our ladies secretary. And I was so glad Brother Bernard was in Egypt or somewhere because I'm, I'm certain he would have popped his head in just like a good pastor and would have said, how you all doing? So glad you're here and I would have fainted. But um, we had 30 people in that room that came from all over the United States of America with different skill sets and different levels of burden. We had moms and dads, and we even had a young man with disabilities that was there with his family. And um, we had leadership from headquarters in the room, and we had professors and teachers and educators, and we all sat together and we cried, and we prayed, and then we dreamed, big dreams. And we sat in this session, we just wrote out, if anything's possible, what would you want to happen in Able Ministry? What would you want to happen in your church, in your community? And that's what happens when we come together in groups like this. Big things happen. I was so surprised, and I read over those big dreams that we saved and scanned into the computer, and I'm reading over them, and I'm reading through tears because, you know what? Your dreams are bigger than mine. You would think that I have the biggest dreams of all, right? Like, I really want the world to change. I want UPC to change, and I want everyone with disabilities to, to be saved and to be a part of the body of Christ. And these people in this room had huge dreams, and now we're implementing those dreams, and we're making plans on how it can happen. But it happens in rooms like this. It happens in gatherings like this when just that spark, you know, you know when you feel it. You know when you, you get that feeling deep down that, you know, God, you're going to do something really special. And he's going to do something really special in this district. Why not start here? Why not start here? That weekend after the, um, the summit, you know God lets you know when you're in his will, right? You ever feel God smile? You ever feel God give you a great big hug? 
Well, that Sunday, Brother Chris Anderson was there. We went and visited his home church, New Life St. Louis. It's a big deal. Church has been there. It's a heritage, part of our heritage, <laughs> Brother Nathan. But I felt the biggest hug from God while during that service. I knew the backstory. Little girl, and it's one of my favorite stories now. You know, I used to have to tell other people's stories, you know, like other speakers from other denominations that did disabilities ministry because Abel didn't have their own yet. And now we have our own stories, so I think this is fantastic. Yes. So this is my new favorite story. That Sunday I go to church, and I knew that there was this little girl named Macy that um, was about to be 10 years old, and Macy's profoundly autistic. She has a lot of sensory uh, overload, sensory processing disorder with her autism, and could not tolerate church, could not be in a church service, did not want to go to Sunday school. Teachers didn't want to help her go to Sunday school, um, not at New Life, but somewhere else. And so her parents attended different churches so that Macy would not have to go to church. They went to different services, different times, so someone could stay home with their kid. We did that for years. We took turns going to church. So my friend Stephanie Gossard, who was on the ABLE committee, met this family, and she said to them, start bringing Macy to church. We are going to find a way for your family to come to church together. And so they brought Macy to church. And Macy hated Sunday school. <laughs> and Macy threw fits in Sunday school. And New Life has staff. They have trained staff, trained teachers. They've been around a really long time. And they have the best children's uh, ministry leader, Robbie Crawford. And she didn't know what to do with Macy either. So Stephanie said, well, we're going to figure it out. We're going to do a behavior plan. We're gonna, we are going to find a way for Macy to come to Sunday school. So starting January 2019... The Turnbulls began attending church at New Life together. That Sunday, when I was there, in my presence, with my own two eyes, in this huge crowd of people, I watched this little girl, two, and God is so amazing. The church is huge. And where do I go and sit, not even knowing that it is like this section? But I'm right there with all the special needs folks. <laughs> And I watched Macy in front of me the entire service. She stayed in the sanctuary. And then it's Baptism Sunday. So the place is packed out, and it's really noisy, and everyone's excited. But she did it. She stayed through the whole service. And at the end of that service, Macy climbed up those stairs into that baptismal tank. And she was baptized in Jesus' name. When she came up out of the water, that smile on her face said everything. The joy of the Lord was all over her. And I'm just weeping. And Stephanie is weeping. And Chris, you were probably weeping. We were just weeping and crying. And I'm sobbing. I'm sobbing. And I'm like, God, you're so good. That was the biggest hug ever. But it gets better. She gets done. She's dried off. And then I look over and I see all these people gathering up on the platform for a photograph with Macy. There were more than 20 family members there to watch that girl get baptized. 
That's what it's about. It's about reaching them, reaching their family. 20 people who obviously were not in church were there to watch this child get baptized. It changed their lives. It impacted them. Because Stephanie Gossard was willing to come up with a plan for a little girl to go to Sunday school. That's it. People, it's, it's, not, it's not difficult. I mean, it's simple. Easy, no. Simple. If you have the want to, we have the resources. We've come a long way. We can do this now. You don't have to send them down the hall where it's quiet. They don't have to be alone. You don't even have to pay staff. We can come and train you. We can train you online. We can send you resource papers. We can send one of my favorite things we're doing is the spiritual IEP. So who knows what an IEP is? Okay. <laughs> you go to school, and you might have some particular needs. So you get this thing called an individualized education plan, an IEP, which makes sure that you are going to be able to go to school and have the most success that you are capable of having, and it is a legal document. So we said, let's make one for the church so that when a child with special needs or any type of disability comes in, they get to sit down, this is my favorite part, and have a conversation with their pastor, with the Sunday school team. And they can go line by line down this document and talk about how their child could be successful in your Sunday school and how their family can be a vital part of your church. So we have that document. We have so many resources that are available now that we did not have before. Um, no, that's fine. It is. And if you join our ABLE Ministry Facebook page, we also have links in our files for all of these documents. And if you want to see pictures of baptisms and you want to read testimonies, we've collected those as well. They're all on our Facebook page. It's Able Ministry UPCI. Um, I encourage you, take a look at it. And you get to read the stories from the parents, and it's, it really is moving. I have a book that I wrote and a, a workbook that we've developed to go with it that... All you need is a want to, and you can start a prayer support group in your church. Um, there are ways to start reaching the community. I know that we are at the point right now where we're doing better at accommodating the families that are in our church. Say they have a child that's born and is diagnosed, usually around two or three years old, um, with some type of a learning disability. We're doing better at trying to accommodate them. But if you want to reach out to that 85%, that's not going to church anywhere, it's a really good way to do it is to get involved and find out ideas on how to do this. In our church recently, I've for two years have been working with the Faces for Autism group. I did it through my job. They, I opened up our space, they come and use it. And we began to form relationships. And so we made some friends and then when I left my job there to start working at our church, the leader of the group said, we're going where you go. So I said, well, we're at Solid Rock. And she said, well, that's where we're going. So we began hosting the Faces for Autism support group, which in Atlantic County is, you know, 5,000 families big. It's a really big organization. So now 
twice a month, they come and they use our facility. And it was just that for most of this year. But last, last week, we had an answer to prayer because really this is all about Jesus, right? Um, there's a young boy named Zach that I became friends with his mom. And I was talking to his mom last week after one of their support groups, and we're standing in our vestibule. And having them in your church, they, they think about God. They can't help it. <laughs> so we're standing in the vestibule, and we're having this conversation, and she starts to, like, get this tear dripping down her cheek. And I'm like, Anna, what's up? And she said, you know, I've given my kids everything. I have poured all of my life into them, you know, their education and these groups, and I just I give them everything. She said, but... I have not given them any spirituality, none. And she said, I grew up Catholic, and she said, I don't think that's going to work for them. She said, it doesn't really work for me, but um, I know that there's a God that's bigger than me. She said, they don't even know that. And I said, Anna, it's not too late. We have youth group on Thursday nights. Let Zach come. And guess what? Thursday night. Zach was at youth group, right? He loved it. And so this week when we meet for Friendsgiving, there will be 60 people in the room enjoying Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. I think it's pizza and M&Ms and gummy bear. I don't know. It's strange. But that's what we're doing. (laughs) I am going to make sure that Zach tells all of his friends that he belongs to the Solid Rock Youth Group. And I am declaring that we are going to have that amazing problem of 60 kids that we don't know what to do with coming in the door. They are there. They are hungry. And I know there's times we, when we don't know how to help, we don't know what to do, and it seems too big, we ignore it. And we push it away, and we don't want to think about it. But here today, if for just a few minutes, can we let ourselves think about it? Can we let ourselves think about what parents are feeling? You know, the the heartache and the loneliness and the isolation that comes from having a child that's profoundly disabled. Can you think about what it feels like to so desperately want to be on the other side of those doors and be in the presence of God? but you can't get there, or to be so exhausted, you don't get over one day, and then the next day starts again, and you're not over that day, and the next day starts again, and you're so weary, and you're so tired, and you feel rejected, and you feel alone, and you have all of these big questions about God, right, Brother Cornette? Really big questions for God, (laughs) like, where are you? What is wrong with me that you don't care? What is wrong with me that you don't love me? What is wrong? It's not him, it's his body that's not doing their part. And I pray that for New Jersey, Delaware, that this is a catalyst for change. I pray that you want people with special needs in your church. I pray that you want people of all abilities and disabilities in your church. I pray that God puts something in your heart where the radar starts going off and he lets you know there there they are. There's an opportunity. There's another opportunity. Reach that family. They're worth it. They're worth it. 
When I think back to the hardest times in my life, where I was spiritually and what I was going through and how I felt so, I just felt neglected. I just felt alone. I felt like I didn't matter. I felt like no one cared enough to try. Um, That that process was part of how ministry is born. And if you could think about that with the people that come into your life that even when it's difficult and you're not sure how to help, you can still be part of that process and let God handle the details because he sure did. He handled the details. And we get confused because we think like the wheat and the tares, you know, they look a lot alike. Right? And sometimes it's so easy to just say, I can't. It's too much. You think, you know, you're not going to say, oh, you're a tear. Not wasting my time on you. Not wasting my resources on you. You look like wheat, but I'm pretty sure you're not wheat. You're wheat. 100% whole wheat. And I am too. But I wasn't treated like wheat. Sean and I were treated like we were tares that were useless. And all the while, God was crushing us for ministry to be born. A ministry that is changing people's lives in really big ways. And it may just be one at a time here and there, but the transformation is happening. And I believe, like Brother Anderson said, that this could be the generation that sees Jesus come. And if Sean Wynn is meant to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Is it possible that Able Ministry is part of that end time cry? Part of that end time revival that's reaching all people to bring them to Christ? Can we stand together? I feel like we should pray. Lord, You are God of all creation. You made every single one of us exactly as we are. Lord, you formed us bit by bit, piece by piece, God. You know every cell. You know every bone. You know every neuron. You know every part of who we are, God. You understand our minds. You understand our longings, God. Lord, we long for you. We cannot do this without your help, God. I pray that you will touch our hearts. Let there be an anointing, God, that comes upon this group of people here today for a unique ministry, God, for ministry that looks beyond what the person looks like, for ministry that looks and sees the soul, that sees the heart, for ministry that sees like you see, Jesus. I pray that we become your eyes, Lord, that we can see exactly as you see, God. Let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. Let us answer the call. God, give us courage. Give us the strength to do it, God. Give us the desire to do it, God. Let that burden go through our churches that everyone is welcome. 
that everyone is welcome, God, that we are all part of your plan, that we're all a part of your body. Unite us together, God, in this district. Let us be a model for what can come, Lord. Let us be a model for what is possible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise to Jesus. There's a video that goes with this presentation. Can you play the video, please? And if you would be seated. Count the stars, one and all. Knows how much sand is on the shores. Sees every sparrow that falls. He made the mountains and the seas. He's in control of everything. Of all creatures, great and small. And he knows my name. Every step that I take. So I want to take a moment here to, for us to pray. Um, I'm just going to play a song. There's a, a couple things that I want to, to pray about specifically. Um, as an organization, as God's people, we need to repent. We need to pray for our people that we've failed at this. Are we okay to admit that? We, we have come up short, and we need to change that. And that's going to change, but it starts with repentance. So I, I want to take a moment of intercession for our movement. Um, I'm not a world changer, but all I see a need, and that is that we have able ministries, and we have teachers, and to me, the need is the same. It's the same field. They're not special needs. They're just needs. I brought up one million Chilean earlier, right? And so in our mind, when we think of a one million child revival, we go, oh, it's going to be all these kids that are coming together and jumping and leaping. But if you look at Jesus's ministry, that's not what his ministry looked like. It was filled with special needs. He was surrounded with special needs. That one million child revival is special needs. That's how this looks. So if you're not interested in special needs, don't tell me you're interested in revival. Stop trying to reach the healthy and reach the sick. Amen? So I say that to say, let's take a moment. Let's intercede for our movement. Our movement has come up short, myself included, and say, okay, we're sorry, Lord. Now what? Will you do that with me? And let's see what God does.
Jesus, Lord, we praise you. Lord, order our steps, Jesus, Lord. Show us the way, Lord. Show us what we can do. Lord, we're just one set of hands, one set of feet, Lord, but show us what we can do, who we can make an impact, Lord. Show us families that are hurting, that have closeted themselves off, Jesus, in desperation. We praise you, Jesus. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet. Jesus, we praise you. We love you. Oh, do you feel his heart today? Do you feel how much Jesus loves every child? Oh, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I was so moved when Macy got baptized on Baptism Sunday because when she came out, so everybody was cheering and the place was loud and raucous, and then Macy comes out and everybody knows Macy. She's nine and she has autism, severe autism, and, and all of a sudden the worship team recognized this is going to freak her out. And so everybody, everybody went down. And they were still worshiping, but they were worshiping in a whisper. The entire room started worshiping in a whisper. It was incredible, wasn't it? And so, and so Macy was going into that water and everybody's worshiping, but they're crying and they're being quiet because they don't want to shout because they know that, and it was, it was just the most incredible thing. I only pray that your church can experience that joy that I felt that day. And not just once, but every moment, praise God. And just tell Jesus, I want that. I, I want that, Lord. I want that. I want that in our, in our body. Praise you, Jesus. I'm not foolish enough to think that the UPCI is it, but I can influence the UPCI. Now, everybody, they, the other organizations can figure out on there, but, but my body is here. My body is you. Praise you, Jesus. And we want, we want that, Lord. Hallelujah. Do you want that? Just tell him I want that, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. And any chance you get a chance, pray for Able Ministries because they're a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path. Preparing for what? His coming. This is where he's going to do his greatest work. He's not going to go out and heal the healthy. That's not the way this works. Praise you, Jesus. Get ready to be a miracle worker. Hallelujah. But you can't do miracles if you have nobody that needs miracles in your midst. That's not the way it works. So if, you're, if your class looks normal, dump it out. Get a bus ministry. Go look for the families. Praise you, Jesus. You have a powerful resource here right in your district. I don't know if you knew that. Hallelujah. Does anybody feel like they have anything they want to discuss or share at this moment? Yes, sir. We were talking earlier about young people. I, was, I had the opportunity to share this earlier, but I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it to you. As a young man, we talked about kids, we talked about youth working and being ministry-minded. You're responsible for the body of Christ, that kind of thing. Teaching them that they're responsible for the whole body of Christ, majorly important. I had the honor and privilege to be considered one of Sean's friends. As a young man, that changed my life. Sean, Sean didn't know that he changed my life. 
and changed my ministry, Brother Brian's ministry. There's not a day gone by that I don't, I don't think about that and I don't think about how that impacted the way that I even see people with special needs now. For those who, who don't know, Sean, there's different, there's sensory and different things. I learned full well what it was like to have seizures in a moment. As a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, now it, the comfort level that I have. So if somebody does come to our church, you paved, Sean paved the way to be able to have a ministry in place where now our young people can be trained to do that. It perpetuates generation to generation, but it has to start. And may I make the recommendation, let your young people experience it. It will change their life and their ministry for years to come. Yeah, but oh, it's being live streamed, so that nobody can see your face, though. <laughs> um, it's not really in reference to special uh, needs, but um, my life was like all about animals. I worked in a vet's office. I worked at a pound, and all of a sudden, God started closing those doors. And um, this lady here. Um, she would ask me to, you know, fill in for, for Sunday school. And I'm like, oh, no, kids, uh-uh, sorry, not my thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and she kept asking me, kept asking me. I'm like, all right, God, you know, if you want to go through, if you want me to go through this door, I'll walk through it. It's not going to be easy because, like, I'm not really used to kids. I don't have kids myself, just a four-legged kind. And now I work with kids on a different level at school. And the love that I feel for my church kids is just amazing. You know, like I'm just as protective over them as if they were my own kids. And I never, ever thought that I could feel this way. And I would never change it. Powerful, powerful. God's love is so wonderful. And when before I came to him, I didn't know what love was. We have Christ's love. Praise God. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I have the privilege, and I needed to be reminded of it today, but I have the privilege to work with special needs children during the week at my public job. And I was thinking as Denise was talking, every single child is special. And, you know, sometimes you get so busy in the day-to-day routine that you got to step back and think about how each one of them is special. And the last two years, God has impressed upon me. I have um, in our um, VBS... I spoke with a couple of the teachers and I said, you know, we need to make up boxes. And what I've done in our Sunday school is I have placed sensory boxes in each class because I know the students I work with, it doesn't matter where we're at during the day, but they have to have things that they can hold, that they can touch. So anyone that's in this room that is dealing with children like that, I would highly recommend you 
to get yourself a few bins at the dollar store and get some, some items that they can bend, that they can move, and realize that some of these things you won't get back, and that's okay. That's okay. But I'm just so thankful that it's just been reminded to me again by the Lord today how special each one of them is because I, I was raised in a family where my mother was raised in Pentecost, but she rejected it, and she was running from God. And if it wasn't for my aunt, I became that bus child. And because of that, me coming... I was a victim of bullying at a young age. And me coming to church, I felt the love of people. And now, though I, I did not come with a special needs situation, I can understand that these children need an extra dose of love. They need an extra dose of prayer so that they can be successful in their world. So I would encourage you to make up those special need boxes and have them ready, the sensory boxes in each room, because they've really helped me. And uh, if you have your packets, the last 16 pages, if you haven't looked at it yet, are these uh, special needs resources that we've put together. We have identified eight of the more common uh, special needs that enter into our classrooms. And when you're dealing with certain types of disabilities, these, these manipulative in your classroom is going to be a pay huge dividends. Um, every, and we cannot train you to be an expert in all special needs, but as a teacher, what you need to learn is to become resourceful. So we've provided these resources. So when it does come to you, you can go, okay, let's do a little homework. What can I do to try to help this particular situation? And then when that doesn't have the answers, then you contact Denise and Able Ministries and they have parents and teachers that have gone through this, and they're going to give you ideas. And so you're going to be able to come up with a specific plan of action that's going to work for each individual child. Praise God. So those resources are there for you. If you want that digitally, you can contact us, and we'll send it to you. It's on the, uh, the Facebook page. You can download these documents. Um, but that's what those are there for. And we have eight more that we're about to do. I'm talking with Everett, so get, get ready for that. Praise God. And if there's anything that you're going through where you want us to address an issue, tell us, and we will, I promise. Hallelujah. We're going to take a 10-minute break and uh, let you guys just stretch your legs and use the restrooms of that. We'll be back at quarter till, okay?